Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Andrew, good to see you, mate. Pleased to meet you, um, Chris. Read a lot about you. Well, only the bad stuff, I hope. <laughs> That's what I concentrate on. <laughs> and let's just say a big uh, thank you and big love to Nick Smith, who put us in contact. Um, Nick's been helping us out on the podcast. He's an absolute diamond of a guy. Um, he uh, seems to be hooking all the podcast is up with some great guests and hence today so thank you nick let's hope um your listeners agree with you after this podcast <laughs> i'm sure they will sure. um let's get it so andrew you're a filmmaker journalist adventurer i guess we can say alternative adventurer you spent a lot of time with shemima uh begum who's uh been in and out of the media isn't she for the last what five years now um she drives me nuts because for the last year and a half i spent time with her until well i'm sure we get to the reason why i don't speak to her anymore but for a year and a half she's been a big part of my life she's caused me five trips to syria because of her so yeah no she's been part of my life first thing i want to ask you so you're on the piers morgan show oh jesus what is he as big a prick as we all think he is yeah, he is. He's a rude twat. Um, I got asked on the show. Well, I got, first of all, the production team got in contact with me to see if I could get a, a live interview um, with him and Shamima, which is completely um, nuts. He wanted me to go there, set up some live broadcast so he could stay in his studio. He didn't even have the bollocks to go over there and meet her. But she'd already told me, and she thinks he's a knob, and she's a knob. She said, said can I have a message to um, Piers? Tell him to fuck off. That was what Shamima's message, and I did relay that. But the reason I don't think much of him, I was invited onto the show. I went on, I travelled up, sat in a green room for an hour, got three or four minutes to talk about a subject. And then obviously you're introduced, you go to break, and there he is sitting at his big desk, the big I am. And then he shakes your hand, re- offers your hand, doesn't really want to give you it, doesn't want to know nothing about you, Then because you, you're in adverts, you've gone to break. And then he plays on his mobile phone. So you're sitting there looking like a lemon for three minutes while he's checking out his, um, whatever, he's checking out his tweets or whatever. Then you go to the interview and afterwards you like treat like a piece of shit. But uncensored, if you ask me on again, here's go fuck yourself. Yes. And friends at home, I, I, Andrew, if it's any, um, whatever that word is, comfort, com- comfort. I've, I've been treated the same, um, in uh let's call it mainstream media but no i do uh, friends at home i should apologize i don't use words like prick lightly it's just this is a man that when me and my veterans were fighting for the children's future fighting against these huge trillion dollar pharmaceutical companies all backed by blackrock and vanguard um we predict we we told people what would happen not going to say any buzzwords here folks but you know there was a certain procedure that everyone was forced to take not everyone i mean but the pressure was on and one of the the leading protagonists in trying to shame people um 
into screwing with themselves and their bloody children, basically, was Piers Morgan. I took quite firm views throughout it, like a lot of people, I guess. Um, one of which was when it was believed when the vaccines first came along, that they would stop transmission. It seemed to me if you refuse to be vaccinated, you shouldn't be entitled to the same rights to, you know, to go to nightclubs and stuff as those who'd taken the vaccine and were therefore not able to transmit it. However, when it was established that vaccines actually didn't stop transmission, they just stopped a lot of people getting very sick and dying, the argument to then suppress any liberties or freedoms of the unvaccinated, to me, it went away. And now that he's realised that he was on the wrong side of history, and we're talking a serious wrong side of history, you know, this is on a level with with Nuremberg. Um, he's now kind of conveniently tried to hop on the other side of the fence and he's getting the the Jordan Petersons of this world on his show. And and it's not as though he doesn't have a history of doing this, of of doing really, really evil, evil acts and then trying to distance himself from them. And I think people are waking up now, Andrew, you know, I think well, I, people I certainly have. He, he was on my tick list and I don't know why, you know, I just wanted to do Piers Morgan. And now I go, do you know, what? I don't really want, wouldn't want to be associated with him. He was calling people COVIDians, but it works mm. both ways and it COVID can be both ways. And by the way, I didn't follow any of the rules anyway. None of them. No, I didn't mean, stay mean in either. Christmas. I had as many people as I wanted round. My sister died during COVID, not because of COVID, because um, of cancer. And if I had followed their their stupid rules, I wouldn't have seen her. So I don't give a shit about any of it. I didn't follow it. I didn't listen to it. I did what I wanted. Because mm. I'm a free spirit. And, and I ain't going to listen to that shit. And no, I haven't got no time for beers anymore. Um, well, I didn't really have before. I wanted to give him peace of my mind. But I got three minutes or five minutes at the most. Waste of bleeding time. Mm. Good but, shout, mate. So nice to have someone on the podcast that sees it for what it, you know, folks, we're all born perfect. We don't need trillion dollar companies telling us how to live our lives. And maybe you do. But in that case, I, I seriously were encourage. Were we not sold a cure? Were we not sold a cure and it wasn't a cure? Well, we were, we were sold some bullshit, mate, you know, and, and um, we were sold a lot. A, a, a lot of it and there were I call them gutless cowards gutless gut if, if you don't stand up for the children wh who are you what what are you you know exactly uh, well the media protect their careers don't they that's what they do you know it, it's a career protection thing they don't want to be saying something in media um because they don't want to be seen as something it's like this political correctness we have now um, and Pierce says uncensored. He's certainly not uncensored when you go on the show. No, of course not. They're, um, you know, mainstream media is the mouthpiece of what I call the psychopaths, you know. Well, um, me <laughs> media <laughs> got me kicked out of Syria. So mm. that'll be another story that you'll get on to. Yes. Yeah, so let's just take it from the be beginning then, Andrew. How did you get into this adventurous lifestyle? What? I'm a, I'm a nosy fucker. Um, sorry about swearing. I don't know if you can. Some you can't. That's fine. Can't. Don't worry. But it all start. I think it all stems back from when I was a young kid. My brother died of leukemia at the age of ten. He was a year. Um, he was only a year younger than me. So I saw a guy, and and it always played on my mind. I tried even when I was growing up. I tried to achieve more for him. I didn't do it 
it was subconsciously I didn't do it. He just I seemed to be doing it. Um, and he didn't have a time. He didn't have a chance to come to this um, this earth and produce anything. And it was always in the back of my mind that I wanted to be something. Or, and but coming from a council estate in Aldershot, you don't really have many opportunities. You have to create your own. Um, and my opportunity opened when I went on holiday to Uganda. I wasn't supposed to go to Uganda. I wanted to go to Afghanistan, but they had um, an earthquake. We got in the way. Um, so went to Uganda. Uh, on a, a gorilla thing. It was a bit of a different holiday to most people. I thought, I'd give it a go. And then I realised I don't really fucking like gorillas. To be honest. Mm. They're not big for me. I'm not an animal person. They're lovely. They're beautiful spending time with them. And there's lovely, lovely um, gorillas. But it didn't do nothing for me. Um, they're out in the wild. And, and that wasn't my stuff. I wanted something a bit more than that. And it was the Zaire was close, which is now the Congo Republic. And they're at war. There was a civil war. And I thought it might be good just a li- little... Um, climb up the mountains and have a little look in there because um, it kind of filled me. I didn't know what to expect and what to see. Um, and as we climbed over this rocky mountain path and got into the Republic, Jesus Christ, the country was completely different. We got in, went for a banana plantation, got to our first village and turned around and thought, oh, well, that's it. We're, we've, we've been there. We've been saying we've been to Zaire. And as we were walking back, this guy came out with a big knife because he thought we were stealing his bananas. And, and he did. And, and he started to walk faster behind and chase us. And then he started to run. And we ran with our guide. And the guy gave up chase. And we spoke to the guy. I said, what would he do? He said, he'd kill you. Um, he thinks you're naked. So you, so you would have been dead. But the, that, I think that adrenaline boost it gave me, I kind of looked for that again. And I loved the adventure of it all. So from that moment onward, my life had changed. Because I found something that I could do and I enjoyed. Um, and after that, Every adventure, every year I go back now. And first of all, it was a holiday. Now media have taken over. Mm. Couldn't you have just like chucked a banana skin down and to to trip him up? <laughs> you know what I mean, yum, like, yum, oh, yeah. yum, yum, yum. <laughs> Listen, I, I didn't think about that. His eyes were yellow and his knife was long. So I thought, well, I'm off, mate. I'm, I'm done. Um, but then coming back and in the camp, when everybody else was like, crying because they saw some gorillas, these mountain gorillas, they're all right. They're hairy and they're, they're nice and they're in the habitat. And I was more excited about being chased. These people were more excited about seeing gorillas. Um, and then I found my holidays then moved on from to Chernobyl and Afghanistan, Pakistan and um, Mogadishu. And there was always a, there's always a relation to my trips of what I want to see. But the fear and enjoying that little bit, I mean, you was in the military, so you'll know, know all about this. There is an adrenaline boost by being at risk. And an enjoyable, and it becomes addictive, I think. Yeah, and that's a funny thing. I've said this a few times on the podcast, is that they say when you're in combat or conflict, you're supposed to be scared, and I never was. I I loved every minute of it, you know, even when the rounds were coming down and people were getting hit. Not that that I wish them any harm, but that's like what you joined up for, you know? Um, That's what I want to ask you about, actually, being military. I have asked my mates that provided me security i've only had security in the last three or four years because obviously tv people they're precious they don't want to get killed or they don't want to be in trouble so you have to have um un- um security but when i first was on frontline i come under attack by isis and it was a quite a, a nasty little episode there was a suicide attack and a, um blew himself up in a jcb trying to break the front line and as the bullets were firing i started laughing and i don't know why i'm not a psychopath i'm an uh 
a normal nice guy i'm a father quite a soft natured guy and i still can't i don't know if that was adrenaline did you ever get that um i don't know it was excitement buzz i mean we i could have been killed but i don't know why was i laughing inside and i'm trying to work that out is it something normal i don't know i guess we can be quite detached from things until we get hit is would be my yeah, yeah um I mean, you know, you are fine, aren't you? Until you get hit, and when you get hit, then you're probably crying for your mum, and it's a yeah shitty yeah. story from then onwards. But but I wasn't scared. I hadn't been trained like you. I mean, you're a professional man, but I hadn't been I hadn't been trained. But I, but I wasn't at all frightened. I think I was more fearful going up to the front line. But once you were there, it there was no fear. The fear had gone away, and the excitement that kicked in, and that worried me, and it still worries me to today. I think we're quite limited in that lifestyle. Have you seen an incredible documentary? I think it's called, um, it's called something like Which Way to the Front Line. Do you know the one no. I mean? No. I, I could tell you which way to front line could have been in the story for this front line we got. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there, no, there's a documentary. It's called Which Way to the Front Line or, 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 or something like that. And it was about this journalist and he'd done some time in Africa and, um, and he'd done, uh, it's called Tim Hetherington, for folks mm -hmm. that want to check it out. And he'd done all this stuff, you know, getting shot at, having to talk his way out of being in, in like potentially a hostage situation with some not very well-balanced people. And then finally he, um, he bought it for want of a, a better word um the, the video was done by sebastian younger who was the guy that wrote um or i know sebastian younger uh, is. He, he wrote the book perfect storm didn't he about the yes. the fishing disaster the fishing boat disaster because well, um, I, I guess we don't ever think we're gonna it's gonna happen to us um my my you, you the way you said about that which way to the front line it was kind of how it happened to me in kirkuk we I mean, you're military, <laughs> everything's organized. We were in a, in a vehicle. I had no body armor on, no protection, pair of shorts on, and um, probably some slides or some flip-flops. Um, I only went out because I wanted to experience, I didn't want to, I wanted to experience the front line, but nothing as amazing as we did, because you don't know what you're doing. We got lost in Kirkuk. So we were asking directions to a front line on a semi-held ISIS territory, which is, as thick as what you can ever get. Um, our, our fixer was, was trying to sort it out. We come across a um, Turkman TV, and they said, well, there was an action last night, so come and follow us. So we were asking where front line was. <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? Where is the front line was, uh, was something happened to us. And, and I don't know how front lines work, but this one in particular was, I knew we were in a bit of a dodgy situation because you can hear mortar fire, can't you? You can hear a lot, load of bangs and and and, and as we go, it works in stages. It was, I didn't realise that you have like a mile and a half drive on this road to actually get different stages of front line. Is that normal? You'd get kind of behind, you get tanks, and then behind that, you get a medical station, and behind that, mm. well, this is particularly this, I think they were, I can't remember, the Abbas militia um, were fighting. So I got these areas, and then when I got to the front line, I thought, fuck me, I spent all this time trying to find a front line, now it's gone quiet. I could hear all the noises going up to it, I thought, geez, and then it, for about an hour or so, there's no fucking noise. I thought, I've missed it again. Mm. And it's ridiculous going looking for it because I've got family. And then the realisation of what life and how precious life is and how short life can be because I sat and this, mm, this 
commander of this, um, the good guys, stood up and there was like a football, like a leather football on the floor, what I thought, suddenly kicked in. It was somebody's stomach. You know, all of a sudden you've gone, I've never expected to see this. And he kicked it into the hedge, a piece of human being. And I, I kind of realised that, shit, is this where I want to be? Um, and as the story goes, the most memorable thing I had um, of the front line until it kicked off was this sniper. And it sticks with me, um, Chris, and it will do for the rest of my life. And you might have heard stories like this. I was with this um, Iraqi guy from the militia and he, they have this, is it 50 caliber sniper thing? Um, 50 caliber, that's it. Yeah, it was, it was a homemade jobby with a sight on it. And he, he was in this kind of pit. And they have like this breeze block makeup. I don't know what it is, dirt and then breeze block. Um, might be just uh, something to do with bullets, taking them in, you know more about it. But he was looking, and he was looking through his right, his, his sniper rifle. And I said, can I have a look? And he said, he pointed it, this white house on the corner. Um, and I said, is that, you know, is that prominent? Do you know the house? He said, yeah, this village is where I lived. We got kicked out and we set up a front line from where we are. Um, eventually, want to go back in our village. And I, and I looked through and I said, but what's, what's, what's that house? I mean, you're looking at it. He said, that's my house. Uh, and that shocked me. And, and I said, so the people you see coming out of that house, is that ISIS or is that your family? He said, it's a mixture of both. He said, they could be with my family. And so he'd spent two years or a year and a half looking at his house being occupied. How would that feel to anybody? And that story brought a lump to my throat and it still does now. So all the stories I tell around the world of people I've met, that one sticks to me. How mm. torturous could that be? Um, and there was a, and, and how front lines, as you know, they're not nice places. Viewing, there was a JCB with his bucket up and inside that bucket, was the remains of a human being that had blown himself up a few hours before we got there. Um, and I think when we moan about Iraqis or we, we choose our friends, these people were fighting to hold ISIS back. So they stick to me. And we've kind of, I don't want to move on to political, but we've kind of just forgot about them. Mm. They're not important to us anymore. You'd have fought alongside them, I'd imagine. Were you in Iraq? Well, Andrew, can I just say, uh, for a start, like if it was up to me, yeah, and my mates and the people that I associate with mo mostly over the internet now, yeah, we wouldn't have these wars. It would, it, they're so utterly ridiculous. And when you hear people go, Yeah, we, we pulled out, it's like, No, we didn't pull out. We should, we wouldn't have even been there. It's again, it's the psychopathic controllers that they create the, you know, I, I'm taught, I know I'm preaching to the choir, mate, you know. Yeah. You know, they create these situations and, and then everyone like buys into it because they've seen it on the mainstream media. It's like, yeah, we're there in, in Ukraine. Or we're, it's like, well, you're, you're not there for a start. Secondly, yeah. if you were there and you sat down with a Ukrainian and a Russian and an American and a Brit or what you'd, you'd all be like, right. Who's getting the next round? You know, let's, let's not, you know, we ain't going to start shooting each other <laughs> are we I, I mean, you could say that definitely about ukraine now i'm not too sure about those isis boys and maybe shabab i don't even know sit down and have anything with you some of them yeah, guys sorry uh, let me just uh, a, a little yeah add 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 in here mate is let's remember that these groups are all created by an outside and they're uh, correct you know, and yeah, they're no, all, that's that's factual they're all controlled 
a lot of the stuff in the Middle East comes off like the, uh, you know, I mean, it's like Odo, don't want to say the guy's name, but Osama, you know, he was a CIA asset and he suited their purpose for this many years. And then bang, when the, uh, you know, when they needed a bad guy, the poor guy walked straight into the, into the trap and ISIS, you know, Gaddafi, ISIS driving around in brand new Toyotas. Who sold them those Toyotas? Yeah, you know, this is what, what the Joe Bloggs in the street doesn't get. Well, we know from um, what's happened to the Iraqi forces when I was over there, and I've traveled there a few, quite a few times. They were getting that they had no pay. They weren't being paid, the Iraqi army. So they were selling their guns in the market that were being bought by ISIS. So the guns that they've been supplied with by the West were in the market stalls to pay for food for their family because they weren't didn't have any. I don't think they've been paid for six, seven months. So they should, so start, they should start a podcast. Say they should start <laughs> a podcast, and then they'll get paid even less. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much podcast pay, but so that's kind of where my interest come is like what like we're talking about now is finding out like an average boy from a council estate is not supposed to know nothing. Because we're directed in life to pay our taxes, go on holiday once a year and die. So for me, that was never going to be enough. So I wanted to I wanted to know more. I mean, the only way to know things is to, to actually go and find out yourself. You can watch a documentary on TV. That's You've probably filmed like I have. So you've got a camera behind you. Everything goes back in editing suite. And when you see the final item, it's not really what you, what you imagine. So the good, the good thing about coming on things like this, you can actually say what happens and visually if you go yourself you know the truth it's like shamima i it went once when i'd interviewed her and all the shit has come out after that and people saying to me i had death threats and then i had no death threats i love a death threat though a, a phenomenal you think you made it don't you a death threat but i mean like these celebrities go oh i've been a death threat i've been pestered i go do you really take it serious when a man with an avatar superman who's got followers too <laughs> is going to really come to your house and kill you really you're going to go on and say I've had some serious death threats. Going to call the police? No, I'd like a dust up with them. Um, I think one guy said to me, "If you come to loot and you're dead," I said, "If I go to loot and I want to be dead." So you know, no, it's no offence to anybody in loot, and I'm sure it's beautiful. But that kind of, but but the whole part of this travel and the thing we do, and you've done the same with your podcast and your life, and see what you do to them. You, you can actually find out the truth if you really want it. The truth's out there. You just got to get off your ass and find it. But Shamima. Um, I conda, um, really, I didn't intend to, but I did. I baited her. Um, so I went from meeting her, thinking she was a victim, and coming out, hating her. So I went right the way round. And she, Shamima was a mistake. I mean, I've got a, a documentary come out soon, following me around a few countries and bits and pieces. And I just, I, do you want to hear this? I mean, uh, I'll tell Yeah, you is it, Andrew, is it worth... Uh, for our friends at home who might not be familiar with who Shamima is, just to give a, a quick synopsis on, on yeah. how she ended yeah. up in that situation. Shamima, um, about probably six, seven years ago now, um, was famously seen on the front of a newspaper with um, three of, uh, two of her mates. They left the UK um, to join ISIS. So they went and ended up in Raqqa and become married. All three of them become married. Um, two of them are now dead. They both got blown up in Bagus. And then Shamima got, um, she got picked up as she was trying to escape. Um, 
And I think she tried to blend him with refugees. But so now Shamima, the British girl from Bethnal Green, is now in a prison called Al Roj in um, Kurdish Tale, Syria. Most people know about her because she's been all over the place just recently and they've taken her citizenship away. Um, and pe- there's a lot of people now turning to think that she should come back, a citizen should be given back, and we've given her a misjustice. Um, so that's who Shamima Began is. And I think most people do know who she is. With predictability, I have to say, Shamima, the, the overwhelming response we're getting from the viewers to this programme is that you shouldn't even be on camera. Um, they think that you have completely disqualified yourself from British life, that you don't count, and a typical, a typical message is you should leave her where she is and let her rot. Well, I was um, told by journalist friends going back about two years ago that she doesn't, she's not speaking to anybody. Um, so part of my filming mission, like I said to you last week, just explained, I'm nosy. I want to know really what's going on. I don't believe the papers. I, I, you know, she had this conspiracy theory about these babies, whether they're real or not, and kind of wanted to find out more about her. But I was doing a job. I was filming for this um, thing called Danger Zone, um, and we were in Raqqa and Bagus. So I spent sort of a week and a half with some real. I've got some great stories from there, but um, we'll move on to Shamima. So on a day off, um, I thought I'd go and see her. So I've made my applications to um, the Kurdish commander and, and Roj Camp to see if I, she'll agree to meet me. Well, she had no choice anyway, because you could put in a room with her and she can say yes or no. She doesn't have to talk to you, but she ha- you, ha- you get that opportunity to say yes or no. Mm. Um, so she, we'd agreed on this Friday, I'd finished filming. I thought I'd give it a go, but I expected to be told to go away. She'd been telling all the journalists to just bear off. She'd had enough of them. But so I met Shamima. I was put in a small room and I felt quite nervous. She had this kind of celebrity aura about her, made like once again by the press. She had her own Wikipedia site. I mean, you know, how can you have as a, uh, a terrorist, as a Wikipedia? Well, she did. Um, and I kind of don't like failing. I don't know about you. Do you like failing, Chris? Because I don't like failure. I really don't. It's not a big part of me. So I was put in a room with her and, I, and the night before I went in there, I was planning, am I going to get this woman to actually talk to me? So I had this Netflix documentary I did um, called Dark Tourist. And part of it, I was in a, um, an orphanage where all these children were dying, of, um, would, would, were dying of leukemia because of the Russians' testing of nuclear weapons in Kazakhstan. So these um, defects, birth defects. So I had this area, and I, and I do you cry when now you got older. Somehow, since I've got into my 50s, I see an emotional film, and the, the tears start rolling. <laughs> that turn up at 50 or, or 45 you're not you might not be 50 well you look at it <laughs> i don't mean that chris but mm. anyway so i've had this part and i wanted to show to her that i wasn't like one of these journalists that she might see or ask her about heads and bins and shit like that which is unimportant to me um i wanted to know her not what she'd seen um so anyway i had this and she said no and i said i'm not having that she made me not saying no i've come all these miles here and i've just come from these places and i showed her this footage of this documentary and she said no it doesn't seem you are you're mate you're a documentary maker you're not a journalist i thought i don't even think i'm a filmmaker i just fell into it um all right love we'll do that so i went a walk for a walk with her um and talked about shit i talked to my daughter because i've got a daughter her age and we talked about tv what's your favorite shit and crap and a load of old 
rubbish stuff that journalists wouldn't ask. But we made a bond. I didn't know I wanted to make a bond. We talked two hours of crap, and then you only get two hours and you have to leave the prison. So we, she walked me back up to the main block. Um, so they all live in tents, and there's a brick building where administration is. And as I went by, say goodbye, saying, oh, can I shake your hand? And at that point, she said, can I have a cuddle? And firstly, straight away, guilt hit me. I mean, I, I love my country and I love everything about it and whatever and the freedom we have. And 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 I kind of was brought into the, the, the bit about what, the, what she had done and how she behaved and what she could have done. Bear in mind, I've been to refugee camps and seen people that had been tortured by ISIS. I've seen torture blocks. Um, I documentary shit some awful stuff so i hugged her and i felt guilty from that moment onward not guilty enough to put it in the papers but i felt guilty um and i went on gmb um good morning britain and i spoke about it and i still had this guilt inside me um so i went home and i thought well i'm never going to see her again got a few death threats um case of our nevada that was the end of it i'll carry on my normal life uh, and just carry on with my book um, but then Good Morning Britain um, called me up and said, how do you fancy taking us back to do a live interview? I could do a live interview. And anyway, that went on and become BAFTA nominated. So I'm really conning the whole world. So BAFTA nominate. And I'm a builder from Aldershot. I don't know how that happened. I think Sex Pistols... You're a fucking builder from Aldershot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sorry, mate. Um, You've been to Aldershot, haven't you? you were obviously I've there. got to go, I'm afraid. <laughs> that's what I wish maybe that's what a few people should have said Chris I'm born in Aldershot I'm not there now I gotta go and like you know uh, like hammer and, na- hammer and nailing or something really really important what do the MPs have you down there did they <laughs> can I can I chip in and just say a couple of things because I, I I love to touch base when, yeah. when I went uh, so I visited a prisoner in I think it was Ecuador yeah lots of uh youngish female British girls in prison in South America. Right. And we know what for, don't we? It's for mm-hmm. the old, uh, yeah. Taking the wrong suitcase on the plane. Um, yeah, you, oh, you met them. Y- yeah. I, well, there's a thing you can do. I think it's actually in like the lonely planet guidebook is yeah. you, you apply to the consulate or something. They get you a pass. Yeah. You go to the prison, you, you, you pick which prisoner and it's just to support them. You know, I mean, it, it, it's to rock up. We took, we took about 50 toilet rolls, right? Which might sound shit to, well, actually not shit after the last couple of years, <laughs> actually the number one gift, but, <laughs> but no, we, you know, we, you, they ask you be practical. What do these p- people need inside? And of course, things like toilet roll, they can sell. Um, yeah. it's a, so we rocked up there. Uh, she wasn't very well at the time. She had a um, like a, a flu or something, but she come and she and she was just a bit like, "Well, you come to see me?" We're like, "Yeah," and and it was amazing. It was an incredible experience. You know, these girls were running around this prison like it was a youth club, and she was pointing them out. She's saying that one there, she she sells the crack. This one, she sells the coke. You know, I don't do that because I don't want to jeopardize my you know parole or whatever it's called. Um, but the other thing is, is uh, I mean, I remember I was I met some uh, Palis- I hosted some Palestinians for a week when I was um, studying in Norway. This is friends at home when yeah. I went to work in Mozambique. I studied 
Yeah. I taught I taught street children in Mozambique, but I studied in Norway to go there. And one thing they did every year is they had a a, a busload of um or a plane load of Palestinians come over for a mutual sort of visit. And we had a great time. We had a great week. They were showing us how to smoke apples and all this because we <laughs> we were on top of this mountain. We didn't have any access to any stuff. Not not that we were it was all against the rules of the, the school anyway. But anyway. And I just remember on the last day when they left to get, and it was quite sad. You know, you you connect with people, don't you? You know, yeah. and you have, you have a great time. And I'm, mm -hmm. I remember I just give the bloke a big hug, and I turned to the girl, and and she was very very pretty, right? Not not that that's. Yeah. I'm just trying to build a picture here for friends, and and they weren't wearing any of the you know, yeah. like covers or anything. Like, and, and 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 of course, just me. Because I love everybody, I went to give her a hug, and she went, "Oh no, no, no!" And she went, like li literally, like that movement. She had the reverse of me. And um, so, for you, uh, and of course, uh, friends, what we're talking here, we're talking is is uh, Islam, aren't we? You know, yeah. is a man shouldn't have a contact with a yeah. a, a woman out of respect and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And oh, I can tell you stories from Pakistan, mate. That were just were just crazy anyway um so i felt a bit stupid so i just yeah you know i, I felt like i was trying to do my best here you know and and you made me look a bit like i'm a <laughs> like i don't understand anyway any anyway so for you to get a hug from shemima is that's a you know let's look at the positives here is the fact that that's love and that's what it's all about it, it it was a connection and i wish it had been the connection that i thought it was was i thought it was the fact is that she because at, at that time she was regretful what she had done um she i mean she could have well, i think what we have to put into context and after spending time when i did in in raqqa i saw some horror stories and she was i i think capable of being part of that horror um if you're doing what you're doing where you went, you probably, I mean, it's whether she was trafficked, that was always the big question. Was she tra trafficked and adopted into Wahhabism? I don't know. Uh, and at that point, I didn't. So going back doing the G GMB um, interview, I mean, I've gone, yeah, take me back there. <laughs> and she'll definitely speak to me. It was a lie. I didn't know she would. I fancied a free trip. They got a lot of money ITV, didn't they? And they stay in the best hotel in Erbil, and I was going to have a bit of a whaler time. So I kind of went with them, but not knowing where she would speak to me. So that hug, that connection um, helped me, really. So we went through the shit, and she met me again, and we did the live interview. Um, and But during that time there, there was some key moments that, that she taught me that there's something more. She'd gone from being a apologetic girl to becoming a victim. The Prime Minister and Home Secretary were briefed by the intelligence services about claims that you were witnessed preparing suicide vests for suicide bombings. When I first met her, she had like a vest t-shirt on with a hug and we took photographs and she was very worried about the photograph having a bra strap. Um, the second time I met her, she had everything out. So there, was changes in her 
So she was becoming aware the only way she was going to get back was to become a victim. She wasn't a victim. And I can tell you why at the end. And there's more to Shamima by, like we're saying, the only way you're going to really understand somebody is by meeting them and understanding and getting to their psyche. But during that period of time, the interview went away. She had a tantrum mid-interview, cleared off, and I've dragged her back. I thought, well, I've just spent all this time. I've got a little mug of you. Don't come back. So I dragged her back. She did the rest of the interview. But at that time, we, we reconnected. She was hugging all the time. It was like, wow, this is... We have a connection. So I gave her my phone number because I allowed her a phone call a week and I thought, I ain't nothing of it. I'm never coming back again. And I went away. And then the texts started to roll in. It's continuing texts started coming in from her from a prison camp. And this was like, for me, wow, I really am in this girl's psyche. I want to find out more about her. And when I was in um, doing the GMB interview and on a break and when they were clearing their shit away and probably congratulating themselves on what a great job they'd all done and probably forgot about me, did the job for them. But anyway, so I, I, I went off and she showed me, got it out of her purse, and she showed the pictures of these two children. The other one, the third one that died, but there was no pictures. And there's a picture of a kid with chocolate all over his face, playing like a normal kid. And then another kid. They all died of oxygen starvation. You can read into that whatever you want and never address that to her. And once again, like I said, you get in your 50s and the tears start to come you go don't start crying in front of a so-called terrorist or anything else anyway they did they came i was upset and when i and one of the texts i gave to her first text was hey shamima when i've got back those pictures really made me upset and the picture of your two kids have stuck with me and she said i oh, don't worry about that i'm over that part of my life now and i thought hold on a minute i've been like i told you my brother died and my sister just recently said, how can you be over the death of two children it was only a couple of years ago is that just your situation? But emotionally, wherever you are, you can't just get over that, can you? Was there a point where you started to have second thoughts about your life in Islamic State, under Islamic State? Just only at the end, like, after my son died, I realized I had to get out for the sake of my children, the sake of my daughter and my baby. Yeah. It was only at the end, it was only yeah. at the end. Chris, tell me. Did she actually have, is it proven that she had these kids or could this be some propaganda stuff from the, from the ISIS to say, look, she's one of us now. No, we made, we mated with her. No, she definitely in the third child. I asked the woman that there's a grave around the prison of her third child. They all died of this, um, somehow lack of oxygen. Um, I, 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 I don't, I don't know. And if it was, it then surely she'd have, no reason for her to tell a lie and the pictures were clearly her she was in them um and then um going on and that that kind of changed me and the texts kept on coming um and then i went back no i went to ukraine um during the conflict so once again i'm a bit nosy and war started and i wanted to kind of out of empathy go there i needed a reason to go there and talk about freaking animals again i went to rescue a bear uh one of these circus bears um but then i in then uh, i said to shamima um you need to keep yourself in the press and she said not now ukraine and now you're the ukraine war in there no one's gonna be interested in us it was like the war in ukraine had become an inconvenience there was no emotion just an inconvenience so my opinions of her she hadn't learned empathy I, I, I was so reserved as i thought this isn't a girl 
that's got any sympathy or sorrow or any remorse of what she's done at all. Um, and what she, you know, in what happened in Raqqa, there's no way that she, and in Bagus, she would not have seen, you know, bodies burning in the street. Headings were regular um, affairs. Homosexuals being thrown off buildings like they were in Mosul. It happened there. So she said, I think I saw a head of the bin. And that's a lie. She'd have seen much more than that. And then I went back with Sky, Sky TV. I've become like a, a lovey now. Um, so Sky contacted me and said, will you go back again? And I thought, Sky's budget, they must have loads. So we went back to the same hotel and I did the same thing. Funny thing is, though, and I will really laugh about this, these so-called Oxbridge journalists, um, can you get Shamima the interview? Yeah, I'll go with you. And I took you and I knew I'd get Shamima interview by then. She was texting me. And she was saying, I'm really excited about you coming. Miss... <laughs> this guy, I won't mention his name because it's embarrassing. Shamima's now got the COVID mask on and she's doing the interview with this mask. I thought, this folks, twat, why didn't he ask her to take her mask off? And part of the deal was I get a 20 minute interview with her afterwards with their cameraman. I could freelance it. So he's done his interview and he's cleared off. So I said, Shamima, take your mask off so we can do my interview. And I could see this, this, this presenter who's gone, how the fuck's he done that? I've just done a whole interview with a mask on. This amateur guy that's a builder from all the shots, sorry, has now interviewed her with no mask on. But anyway, they should ask, shouldn't they? The problem is, at the age of being a teenager, you're very arrogant. Can you don't yeah. listen to people? Sometimes yeah. you really do have to learn the hard way. Sometimes you have to be shown. Like, Not look. this way, though. This so sometimes I could be used as an example, like you don't want to end up like her. I think that's... Would that bother you? No, no, I wouldn't. Because if, if, if it stops um, children, yeah. it's the same mistake that I made, of course, use me as an example. Tell, yeah, tell the kids, don't be like her. It's like we, we were expecting to be going through a field of um, COVID. There was a Mr. COVID that was attacking us. So I, I just ignored all that shit anyway. Didn't mm. bother. They didn't stop me traveling. Um, yeah. It stopped during, actually, ironically, it stopped during, during the Ukrainian war as well. There was no COVID during that period of time. <laughs> it dried up, didn't it? We forgot I, about it on the news and that. Mate, it hasn't come back since then. I'm waiting for the apologies to come rolling in from all the people that were fucking horrible to me. Well, <laughs> not 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 that I care because I I I um I tune into a higher power than uh, you know other people's emotions. But well, it is quite funny that you know we called this. We said two years ago what was happening. We said the res what the results going to be. We said people are going to be upset. Da, 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 and now it's all coming out in a wash. I'm wondering if my inbox is going to be full of all, all these people that turn their back on me. <laughs> Listen, it, it, it really doesn't matter anyway, does it? Um, it nothing really matters, really. It, you know, life's such a short... It's like press and media and what goes in the press. It's forgotten about a week later. Mm. Hope it'll be forgot about. And all those, all that stuff you got about the vaccines, it'll be forgot about. Give it time, year and a half, never happened. Like I said to you, during the Ukrainian war, during COVID times that happened during, you know, COVID, we had, I don't know, I think third wave of whatever it was. I didn't see any of these waves, but they were there. There was no, nobody wearing a mask in Ukraine, I can't remember. And I, I come up, imagine you come on a plane, you put a mask off, you get into the airport lounge, don't need a mask. So COVID only exists on an aeroplane, but not in the departure lounge. I'm a normal bloke. I wasn't a journalist when I went, I've now got my press card. But going into... Um, which another they didn't want to give me a press card neither because I hadn't been to university. So they thought, how can we give this guy? So, but you learn that's what well, so you learn. You control. There's you know the government say do not travel to this country because it's your extreme danger. I mean, Erbil is one of the, it's probably the safest place. You would go in London and get murdered 
but you wouldn't in Erbil. Your door's still louder. And, you know, I was safer there than I was here. So, so the, my, my, it's about everything in life. Just don't listen. Make your own mind up. Mm. Don't, best thing to do is don't read a paper. I got banned from Syria because of newspaper. Um, I, on the, my final trip to the Shamima ship, um, I wrote a story because Shamima, she does, she's going to go to trial. She's going to go and trial and get 20 years, I reckon. She'll get 20 years in, in Syria. Um, that's her biggest fear because once she's been sentenced, it doesn't matter about her getting a citizenship back or not. She's sentenced. That's her, that's her prison sentence. That's her fear. And when I come back, I wrote that story about it, about her fear. Um, and they said Shamima fears the death penalty. Well, the SDF, the Syrian Defence Forces, had the ump me because they don't have the death sentence. They, don't, they believe it's barbaric. So she would imprison. So I got the SDF contacted me and said, you're banned. And all because of a newspaper. I got an apology from the newspaper, but it just goes to prove you cannot read. And I asked the journalist, I said, you need to go back into the paper and then take that out. But they won't because it's, it's chip paper the next day. But you can't believe things. Mm-hmm. You know, anything that you open a paper at and go, that's a fact because it's in the newspaper. It's not. It's how it's. I don't know if you ever wrote newspaper articles. I've written a few magazine. Um, then you know. And if it's been edited, you know it's not what you wrote. They change it mm. to fit, I don't know, maybe their political stance, or they change it because it sounds better. And that article about her being afraid of the death sentence was fantastic for the newspaper because clickbait was all over it. So they didn't care it was a lie. The mate didn't care it was a lie. He didn't give her monkeys because yeah. he done his job, didn't he? that happens as your covid stuff comes in place um you know you you turned on the tv in the morning all you heard is covid so the fact is that people were dying there was earthquakes there was explosions during that period of time it was only when the new canadian war started um that we stopped talking about it well we went from brexit didn't we We went brexit and that's all we ever talked about brexit then we talked about covid and now we're, we're now we've given up ukraine and ukraine is a more deadlier place it wasn't it was at the beginning um, we're mm. we're a strange thing. Are you uh, going to see to see Zelensky? Is did I hear that? <laughs> yeah. Well, at the moment, um, I because my military contacts and my mates, because like we'd be best mates. Me and you go out, we knock about with the same sort of people. Don't listen to any shit that goes on. So and you know that's kind of like the military. Mm. So all of the presenters and TV people, they you're there, you're there, and my mates there do a job. Well, I don't. Although I interview and I become in front of the camera. I, I gravitate to my normal people. Um, and because of that gravitation, the people, my contacts. Um, so Zelensky's got in from people who are, who are working in Ukraine, ex-military. So yeah, Zelensky's on my books. Mm. Um, however, I will reserve the right, and you can have this interview if you want to ask it when I come back. I, I, I don't, I, I, I want to find out the truth of Ukraine. I've read a lot, I'm not going to say any more than that. Yeah, do you are you familiar with the Kazarian mafia? Yeah, theory. Um, yeah, Sabatini yeah. and Frankie's cult. Yeah, etc. etc. Yeah. Okay, so you're in a good place then to go and interview. So, so my, my whole questions would be: I mean, um, we're taking GMB, going out there to interview. So we, it's just that I want to, like I said yourself, um, it's not. It'll be nice to go to the country and find out for yourself. Mm. Um, I don't want to talk about the interview too much beforehand because we're waiting for a date. 
Um, and once the dates come out, then we can have a little, little, little chat about it when I come back. Um, if he offers you a line, are you going to take it? <laughs> I would. I, no, I mean, I didn't say that. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, so my life, a bit like yours, I, I just don't, I just can't go for the conventional shit that goes on in life. All the stuff that's been hidden from us through. Well, we're all searching something for something. And what you said is why I've been doing what I've been doing is because the answer is always why we're here. I think that's what everybody's end day and everybody has the fear of the end because they don't know what the end is. They don't know. And I think, so I think most of us are searching, like you said, you're, you're searching for your answers. Not, not anymore. No, you're you don't seem to be. I still am. Yeah, uh, no, I've, I've, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I know I found them all. Let's get that clear. There is no, there is no, there is no end. So once yeah. you realize there's no end, then nobody can put you in fear. No, and I think that's the most people in life's fear. Fear is of the end, um, because that's what we none of us. Well, you you do quite clearly. You do, and I haven't got there um, because the fear of the end controls your life and is a restraint upon your life. Um, so I achieve. I think because for me in my mind, I achieve what I do and I do what I do because I I want to leave something when I go. Um, I want to have come here and. Uh, achieved and been able to have done something with my life where 90 percent of people don't um i'm a i am a real free spirit i don't listen to can't won't or don't i do what i want and not in a not in an arrogant way i just do if i want to see something and do it i won't read about any i just go um but yeah i mean i'm quite envious of you i'm quite envious of people that have um, got faith um because faith would be a marvelous things to have because you're living your life would be easy with a faith, I would imagine. Like, I don't have faith. Faith is blind. That's like there's a guy on a cloud and he's got a big beard and he's yeah. going to send me. I, I have knowing it's something completely different. I, I'm saying that you are, yeah, yours is different, but people with a faith, whether it be wrong or right, or whether, you know, they're, they're believing they shouldn't like the man in the cloud, but that faith if that's what they hundred percent believe in is making their life easier. It so, depends in what way, uh, uh and, and Andrew, you I know, so, I, I suppose the fact is the fear of the end, um, is easier. yeah, but it's, this is, we could do a mate, let's do another podcast on this subject because I, I want to, I really want to tell your story, but yeah, no and, blind, I'm blind, blind, <laughs> blind right. belief in stuff is, is not helpful. It's just not no. helpful, you know. Well, that's why I can't get there. That's why. Yeah, knowing, right, in biblical terms it's re or, or scriptural terms, it's referred to as gnosis. Once you know yourself, then you will know everything else, or you can do it the other way. You can know everything else, and then then you will know yourself. This is why the best gospel, I can't even believe I'm using terms like gospel at 53, because if you'd said to me this 10 years ago, I would have laughed at you, right? But the best gospel, Andrew, the gospel according to Thomas, who some people say was Yeshua's brother, it, it, it's it's the actual word of Yeshua, not not you know all this stuff you read in the New Testament. It's the actual word, and it's fascinating, and it's stuff like you know he who travels home with a small hole in the shopping bag will get home and realize they've lost it all. 
and it's it's allegorical it's not about someone going home with a shopping bag yeah, it's quite it, simplistic to understand yeah, what it means it, it? It, it's about like if you don't get this and you haven't got your eye on the ball and it's passing you by you'll get to your end of life and you will be afraid of death because you don't understand it all and you'll be thinking in terms of oh like heaven and hell and can we get a priest in to give me the yeah. whatever it is they they and it's it it's incredible it's called gnosis it's knowing it's not about faith and once you know it it's so powerful it's just so powerful and no one can take it away away from you and once you've reach that gnosis once you you live in the land of milk and honey the serotonin and the dm like you cannot leave even if you have a bad day or something horrendous you your default is still up here um incredible mate incredible and then that's something we're gonna have to talk about another time i'd love to podcast that on you i'd love to andrew i'm just gonna uh put us on pause one second yes um Andrew, I just want to say I don't like to talk a lot on my podcast. Um, however, I do like to interject. Thank you for giving me the platform just to say all the stuff that I've said because it's really, really important at this time in life. And and um, I, I, I I'm going to hand over to you. We're just going to talk. I, yours. No, I just don't, I think it's about a good thing. I mean, conversation. The good things about podcasts that I've learned. I mean, I've been interviewed several times by several people but the good thing about podcasts is the conversations can always lead in different directions mm. and for me it's all everything's about learning it's a learning process because that's something that my book and my travel and everything i've done has been a great learning process Get your book up. yeah my book is yeah it's, it's out from candy jar um publisher is the publisher um and people are receiving them today pre-ordered them um and it it takes you pretty much on a journey from being a nobody from Aldershot and ended up, I don't think it was a somebody because that's what a lot of these celebrities say. And I don't think I'm a somebody, I, I'm a, a more educated me. Um, it takes you to the Ku Klux Klan and because people say you can't meet them and but it, 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 that actually closed the myth about the Klan to, know, to such a powerful, supposedly group of people, to a bunch of wimpy, um, wet, um, little old men and people that are drunk and stupid people um and ironically the ku klux klan um uh people have threatened to kill me um I, with a gun that was the size of i probably could have thrown a stone for, uh, more than his bullet of his gun would have traveled um and i'll let you know something about ku klux klan um they were more interested in Downton abbey than doing any of the things that they claim they do because i met this guy and after spending two days with the Ku Klux Klan, <laughs> he asked me to as a catch-up for Downton Abbey, and unfortunately, I don't watch it. But, but the book takes you through the Mogadishu, the Black Hawk Down, um, North Korea, the myths of North Korea, because we all believe that people in, in North Korea are all living a life of... Um, I, I was told that you'd see people side the road cutting grass with scissors, because none of them are happy. I went to the best barbecue ever in Pyongyang, North Korea, um, people dancing, enjoying themselves, roasting meat, um, eating and celebrating. Mm. This is not supposed to happen in North Korea, but it does. Mate, um, I've been in North Korea. Well, you probably might have seen some of that. You've been in Pyongyang then, obviously. <laughs> I, mate, I've literally stepped across. Is it the 37th parallel? Yeah. 
I literally got the opportunity to step into North Korea. Um, it's all a bit silly. I, I won't bore you oh, with I, it um, now, but but I think it's great for our friends at home. You've got two people chatting now that have actually been in a place where there's yeah. so much so much myth about. Well, there is. I mean, there is a lot of it's true. I mean, you get your mobile phones, or you did then. You got your mobile phones taken away from you, and um, and then they are very. I mean, to be honest, I mean, I showed this my guide, and she worked for obviously the government. Uh, her first time she'd ever seen Beyonce, Beyonce, and that was quite quite amusing. So teaching with my wife, so I haven't got Beyonce, honestly, Chris. I'm not a Beyonce fan, um, but on my iPad it was a music, and but then the whole country, it's I actually had a good time. They treated me really well, and then I did an interview, and um, for American press about. Guy called Otto Warmbier. He was a guy that were, that was supposedly beaten by um, was taken in, taken prisoner for stealing a picture of whoever it was, Kim or Jung or the other one or whatever. But he was taken, and I actually don't believe that conspiracy because I stole so much under the eyes of my um, guides. Um, I, don't believe, I, I don't believe that he, he was beaten and killed there. No. I stole loads of things. I've got loads of things I nicked and and they're happily stolen posters and crap and anti-American pictures and they were happily giving them to me. I didn't have to steal them, but he got in prison for stealing a poster. Don't ring true, mate. But North, uh, what did you think of North Korea? Well, my story is quite simple. I um I got to Tokyo Airport. Is it was it Narita? Is it Narita Airport in Tokyo? And stupid me i arrived a day early and i was due to fly to somewhere like singapore and so rather than lose a day i went up to the ticket desk and I said look well, you know where and i looked at asia i thought do you know what i've not i've not been in korea so i said well, how much is a ticket to korea they said 500 quid <laughs> so i just got my credit card out went let's go you know life's too short life's too short not to visit korea right so so for that day, and I, I, I wangled my ticket a bit, so I actually got three days there. And um, I, I woke up in the uh, backpacker in the morning, and there was a poster on the wall said a trip to the demilitarized the zone. The DMZ, the, the DMZ, yeah. So I thought, yeah, got to have some of that. So I, I got on there, and when we we're on the bus going to the demilitarized zone, the tour guide said. Okay, folks, so we're going to the DMZ, blah, 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 spill, spill, spill. Uh, would anyone like to go into North Korea? And I went, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I looked around, on, and I was the only person on the bus with my hand up. And what happened is we went into the uh, official meeting room where the South Korea meets with North Korea. And literally along the desk uh, on the 37th parallel is a yeah. set of microphones. And yeah. that that delineates north korea yeah, i sat in that room where you would i was yeah. in the north korean side went to that yeah room. and they said right who wanted to go to north korea and i'm like okay and and i stepped into north korea i had my photo taken with the the guard who was actually south korean which is a bit confusing yeah. um but I, it it's silly things like this andrew that i love about my life you know it's just like the time I dived off the cliff in Acapulco, right? <laughs> Having seen the Elvis movie when I was a kid, like the time I caught piranhas in the Amazon jungle, 
because you can do I, these things, can't you, if you want to? Mm. Like going into North Korea, like you put your hand up, like people didn't. I mean, I went to Pyongyang and, and traveling around North Korea, traveling people having a barbecue with North Koreans are supposed to be struggling in a forest in North Korea. Mm. Going for an underground station is a punch up. You know, this, these are places you're not supposed to go and you, you're supposed to be treated like shit. I was loved there. It was great. Cuba. That's another one. Never been there. I had to fly to, I think it was Mexico to get a flight into Cuba because Amer America banned it all, right? Yeah. You got a fly to, I don't know, I can't remember where I was in Mexico. So obviously, I was in Acapulco. Uh, but next thing, I'm on a flight to Cuba and just incredible. It was just an incredible experience, but you've got to be willing to want to do these things. Well, it is. It's the extremity of travel and how hard it is to get somewhere. So any bit worth seeing, we did the um, Headhunters tribe. Chernobyl was difficult to find. Mogadishu was horrendous. Um, that was the most scariest place I've been to. You talked um, about Black Hawk Down. Can you tell us more about that? Because I've, read, yeah. well, I've read, I, read the book. I, I saw the film Black Hawk Down. Um, and I thought, well, Somalia, Mogadishu, firstly, um, this is a bit of a bad, this is going back when they were still fighting, Shabab was still fighting. But, um, there's a beach called Lido Beach, and there's a front line there. And I wanted to go, I want to see this helicopter, I want to see it. I'd seen the film and seen everything about it. And I just thought, life, like you said, life's too short. Um, and that we've met the ex SAS guy that retired, he was controlling the airport out there, Ter territorial SAS. Um, as I was told by a friend of mine, um, they're not real SAS, but he, he said he was. And we we, we were in um, Bakara Market where it all happened, and it looked just like the film, and we found the helicopter in a hedge. But we given a 50-50 chance of living. Um, you know, you'd have 50-50 chance of coming back, so how dangerous it was because they were fighting in the streets. But I come back from the and, and look back, but 50, I had a 50-50% chance of being alive, and I had a 150% chance of living after I come back, because being that close opened my eyes to life. Mm. It, it, re it, re it really did, and it told me how lucky I was, because, mm. you know, I, I went back and filmed um, part of this danger zone, and this is how life can be so short, and my friend, who was my guard, got killed, I think, four days after we left. Mm. and you know tells you how lucky we are it really does and i'm burbling on now but you know yeah and that's what i'm saying to you you must anybody listening to your podcast and you especially because i'm going to search up and listen to everything you've done now so i've so much enjoyed this to me and i need to know more about you and hopefully you do about me um go out and do things you don't have to go out to war zones you don't have to do it but don't do what you're told do what you want to do because mm. that's what you're here for surely I don't know, you know, I know you, you're enlightenment, but surely you're here to do things, aren't you? You're not supposed to just follow your path of holiday, two weeks of year, work 50, holiday four, including bank holidays and crap. Sure, that's not life, is it? Really? No, mate, not when you retire and then you bloody die. Um, I don't want to do that. I can retire. What's that all about? Mm. Tell us about Chernobyl. That, that sounds fascinating. <laughs> yeah, Chernobyl. Well, the first part of that trip was down in the Crimea, actually, before the war. Um, and they're all Russian down there. I mean, that's one thing I would say. Um, they're all, all very Russian down in the Crimea. But Chernobyl, um, I went there before tourists went there. Um, 
We were told not to go there. They said that the land would be 100 years before anybody can actually live there. And I, we did the whole school. We could go into all the buildings, we pick things up, and I'm dead yet. I don't know what we're off to. And, well, because once again, I didn't listen. So I went to schools. You could see they were panicking. There was gas masks everywhere. I think most of the fatality there was the fire brigade um, and um, Belarusians went over there to loot the buildings in Pripyat. Um, and one of the most poignant stories I had after that fear in your mind of what you were touching were doing, and it was quite sad because you could see the panic um, from school. The school was the most thing because it was stacked on the floor with marks. They've cleaned them all out now, and you can see half-written um, blackboards where they'd stopped and cleared the class. But after we experienced all that, we went to meet this woman who refused to leave. She said, I'm in my 70s. I'm not going anywhere. I'll die here. I'm going to die anyway. I'll die. But we sat down and we were introduced to her and I said she wanted to cook us dinner. And at that point, what do you do? She farmed her own veggies and her phone shit and she's going to put it on the table for us to eat. Or would you have eaten it? Would you have eaten that food? From what a great question, mate. I... I don't understand the whole nuclear thing. I wonder if there's something like if we're not being told. Because well, possibly. She there, was were, alive there she were people that never left. We didn't eat. Um, and I I, did, I felt guilty for not eating it because she presented food. She was cooking. She knew we were coming. Because you don't, like you said, you don't know enough. But as we left, she said, oh, I quite understand, Barbie. But she was quite, quite into it. She gave us a handful of sweets. And because they had wrappers on, right? They were in a house from a hand. I thought they got wrappers on. <laughs> See, nuclear fallout can't go through wrappers and sweet wrappers of paper. I ate them. So, what a donut. Um, but kind of, in, and she, I think she must be in her 80s now. She's still alive. And now that area, until obviously recently, a snowball forest tree started to grow. They said nothing would grow there for 500 years, and new trees are growing. I don't think anybody knows the truth anyway. No. I, 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 re I really and truthfully don't. Um, and the nuclear testing in Kazakhstan for this um, this Kazakhstan thing I did for Netflix, um, we were there. We were involved in seeing how it all, what was happening to people. So we might have said it was a, an atrocity the Russians were committing, they were, but we still wanted to know the evidence because mm. we went out to go and clear it out, supposedly. Um so, yeah, I've got to wrap up soon, Chris. And I don't even think we're halfway there, mate. Well, mate, let's go again. We can yeah, always do a live. We can always go. We can do a live show, maybe on a Friday night, and um, I'd love that. Yeah, love it, and take questions from the from our wonderful friends out there. L let's do that, mate. Um, yeah, and, and uh, I mean, I bonded with you. I mean, it, when I did, when I come back from Zelensky, perhaps then me and you jump on because I'm sure your listeners will want to hear my thoughts the ukraine yeah we can do a live while while you're over there as long as you got a wi-fi signal or a mobile signal we can I'll, do i'll give you a call mm. because once i'm in there i'll be on i mean hopefully i um good morning britain will be in the higher because that's a nice hotel and obviously they've got loads of money i'll be staying in the backpack and they're staying in the higher but um no i'll be i'll be out there with them so maybe we could why not definitely what, what place to do it from what what do you expect to get from your visit there um well, more than the last time, a pissy bear. Um, we rescued the bear and he uh, and shared three days in a in a transit van and with it with him in a in a cage and, and thinking of bear piss um, and 
having an emotional feeling of letting this bear go into a sanctuary. And I thought I was like something special. The fucking bear died three months later. Um, I hopefully get, I don't know, I, 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 hope, I hope to get, to find out a little bit more about the political side of it um, and, and have an open mind um, and have my own thoughts rather than thoughts maybe that will be generated by the people I'm going with. Mm, definitely. Um, so no, I'll, I'll come back and say, but we haven't finished, Chris. I've really, I have all the podcasts I've done and I, I don't want to offend anybody else I've had podcasts with and maybe have in the future. I've really enjoyed this. I think we're a kindred spirit. It's an honour, mate. You know, honest to mind. be honest, I, I'm I'm going to blow our podcast. I'm I'm going to blow our podcast. That sounds a bit rude. Um, <laughs> no, I'm going to blow our trumpet here because no, most of our guests say the same thing. Um, I think a lot of people, because we're all indoctrinated through the mainstream media and BBC. Grant, I think a lot of people think a podcast is an interview. Um, yeah, and it's but it's not. It's a chat, and and I'm, you know, I care about my guests. I I want to listen to their stories. I don't want some mainstream blurb. Um, and we do we 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 get an awful lot of people. Um, I mean, uh, I chatted to the wonderful David Ike this week. Was it this week, or it might be the end of last week? And he just looked at me at the end and went, Chris. In all my years of interviews, no one's ever asked me what you did. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, we got a good thing going here. We got a good thing, you know. I hope, and I hope a lot of people listen to you, and I hope you get, um, or, or, or something comes good of anything. Mm. I mean, but I think we we have we we can't end it here. I think there has to be a part two. I feel <laughs> that we only touched bits. We end up rambling on like two old men. So yes. No, let's go again soon, mate. Good yeah. luck. Um, good luck with your book, Trip Hazard. Folks, we'll put we'll put a link below so you can grab yourselves a copy. And um, keep your head down, mate, when you're over there. You know, it's, uh, you've got to be careful traveling. Brilliant, mate. And um, I look forward to catching up really soon, Chris. And thanks yeah. for your time. And thanks for the invite. Um, yes. I was honoured to receive it. Yes, no worries. Just, just stay on the line so I can thank you properly. But to our friends at home, um, Thank you so much for watching another episode of Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Um, you really are legendary. And I know we cover an awful lot of stuff that probably, like maybe you haven't had to think about before, or maybe you've thought about it way more than I have, in which case I, I congratulate you. But, you know, we, we've got to build a better future for the children because this constant state of warfare is just silly um being afraid to do your shopping in tesco's without putting your pants on your face is silly um and you're all being lied to <laughs> but we won't lie to you much love if you can like and subscribe we'll see you soon thank you friends thank you for listening to the bought the t-shirt podcast please like subscribe and share and don't forget to follow me on social media username Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.